All right, happy Friday night, guys. Hello, Hector. Hello. Hector and Andrew, how are you? What's up, everybody? Uh, happy Friday night. Uh, tonight, we're uh, Hector and I are joined by our friend, old friend, old council friend, Andrew Berg. Um, and Andrew Wall is playing poker with um, quite a cast of characters tonight that we, <laughs> Hector and I, here. <laughs> um, so we're going to miss Andrew, but tonight, uh, we're going to miss Andrew Wall tonight, but uh, I think it's going to be, it's going to be a, a fun, a fun conversation night. So uh, Hector, how's, how was your week, man? Uh, it's, uh, we, we missed last week, so. Uh, yeah, I, I, didn't need a, I didn't need a break. You know, we were just getting over the first hump of extensions right the september 15 ah. extensions and i had a week from hell and i think it was good for us to take that uh that week off uh, yeah. i did miss you a lot i miss you a lot and we we got a replacement andrew uh so we got rid of one Andrew <laughs> and we brought a different andrew that, that actually works Put, actually, pure, that, that might work out even yeah. better yeah, yeah. pure-blooded american andrew that's what i like that's all exactly, exactly. woke, woke <laughs> me up out of bed good job guys <laughs> so uh so, so Mike, let's do a quick introduction of uh, of Andrew, and or or maybe the Andrew. Let's. Uh, I think Mike already said you're Andrew Berg from Bergen Associates. You're in Pennsylvania, close to Philadelphia. Uh, tell us about your practice in thirty second, thirty second elevator pitch. Yep, we're a CPA firm practice that's been around for. I've been doing this over twenty something, twenty six years, converting our way to more of a bookkeeping and advisory firm. Still do a little bit of tax work and normal CPA work, financial statements as well. But the reality is very less, a lot less compliance work and more of the new school bookkeeping technology, mostly on the advisory consulting side. So our goal is to really help people figure out where their businesses are going and help them grow and make decisions and strategy and so forth and so on. And Andrew, since your company is called Berg Advisors and you led with advisory, maybe um, you can uh, solve this challenging question for us. What exactly is advisory <laughs> from your perspective? What is it now? What was it before? Has it evolved? Is, is it different due to technology? Tell us what is advisory? Yeah, so I'm not a big fan of the word consulting. People use it a lot here. And even the word advisory gets thrown around a lot. I think... Um, it's a holistic view of a person's life and why they started the business they're in and how the business fits in to um, their personal life. I mean, a lot of people try this, they talk about this work-life balance. We really talk more about work-life integration. And uh, so we spend a lot of time trying to understand what people's goals are, uh, personal, like what's their end goal? Why did they start what they're doing? What do they love to do? And I think advisory to us is really getting to know our people from a relationship perspective, uh, almost like they're a really good friend and using that information to help them uh, make decisions about their business. So it fills in with what their personal goals are. So I don't know if I really have a great definition for advisory other than say that it's really a little bit psychologist, a little bit attorney, a little bit accountant, a little bit friend, a little bit of everything. Um, and I think that's true advisory. It's hard to fake being real. And we just like being real with our clients. They're real back with us. And from it, we give really, really good advice based on historical, practical information. Yeah. And, and do real quick. So I need to throw this joke in there. If you're too real with them, do they break your finger? 
Yeah, this is my dog. My <laughs> my dog. <laughs> my dog was nice enough to break my finger last he was, week. He was trying so. to advise his dog. Yeah, and, I tried. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, he advised me who was boss by breaking my finger. <laughs> there's that there's that old like joke if you've heard it if like aliens look down into the world through like a satellite and they they would probably all assume that dogs were masters and humans were slaves. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, we pick new... up we pick up their poop. <laughs> yeah, we pick up their poop. We feed them. <laughs> they just have the perfect life. They're like these dogs th this race of dogs have captured humanity as slaves they have mm -hmm. these walking slaves but uh mm -hmm. andrew we have we have a lot of good funny um i know we have a lot of good funny memories we're uh, both very fond of puppets um and and we had a really great time on council together that one year request to cross over and serve together but you know you were talking about advisory um one i get it mixed up with like government advisory right this like emergency advisory like you know or public service announcement mm -hmm. advisory. So it is a weird word to use. Mm -hmm. And, but frankly, like, uh, you know, being a CFO, being a real consultant at, at, you know, do, in regards to areas of finance and accounting, one, I would say, I actually don't meet that many people that are good at it. Mm -hmm. Right. There's not many, I mean, in the landscape of how many pro advisors there are, how many accountants you meet, most accountants, most accounts, and we know this, you know, you get out of school, you go work for public. Most of this is what most accounts, they go work public. They watch what the, they, they can't make partner or they don't want to wait around making partner. So they go start their own firm. And so the brunt of their experience is they got a job out of college and then they started their own firm. That's their experience, right? And, and then they try to do, they start trying to do consulting or advisory, um, in the sense of really helping a business owner grow their business, actually grow it, not just I can give you a tax plan or I can make sure you, you know, you, you, uh, you take this audit and do the right accounting procedures with it, but real advisory, you know, growth. Mm -hmm. And so you're, you're one of the, you know, you're one of the few people I've, I've talked with and interacted with. And we've talked about this, how we've, you know, of the people we know, the pro advisors we talk to, how many really have CFO chops? Like if they went out and hung their hats, if advisors went out the door and we had to hang our hats at CFOs, how many of us could actually get jobs as CFOs? Yeah. And yeah there's actually, pretty... there's not many. There's actually not many. It's crazy. You know? You're so right. There's not many. I think, um, I think um, you got to really live it. Like to me, you got to live being, uh, act, act as if the, the business that you're helping or the business that you're working at is like your own. And once you live it all day long on the weekends at nights and act like it's your own, I think it's easy to provide advice. I think it's all about listening probably more than talking and um, using every single skill set that you have to make, help them make decisions. Uh, we, I left public accounting for a couple of years, went to work in real estate as a COO and CFO and, I learned so much about uh, how to run a business. And now I bring it back to my clients on a part-time basis. And it was all testing. It's all testing theories, doing that, getting it wrong, doing that, screwing it up. Uh, and you know, you're right. You have to live it in order to do it right. Um, but I think more than anything else, it's not a job. To me, it's like life. Every single person I work with, I feel like it's my, their business is my business. And because of that, I live it all day long. So 
I was mentioning to Hector earlier that we kind of take on one or two clients a year, uh, a quarter where we help them provide services to help fix their businesses. And I can only do one or two a quarter because it's like my life. My phone will blow up every day, every hour, if necessary, dealing with people's situations. And it's really hard. It's really hard to run multiple, multiple people's businesses, but it's true advisory is like you run and own that business yourself. So for that limited group, Andrew, that you're that you're kind of like putting your heart and soul into per quarter, which is which is not your bread and butter when it comes to revenue, right? Because a lot of these, a lot of these, you're doing a lot of stuff beyond what people would pay for. You're almost acting like a part-time employee and listening to water cooler conversations and helping the warehouse guy open the warehouse door and talk about, you know, how, how they deal with inventory coming in or whatever you're, you're, you're being one of them, right. You know, just kind of like undercover boss type of thing. Uh, you're doing that in order to kind of live and breathe their, you know, what their day to day looks like. And then hopefully once you step out and are able to think a little bit, you you can say, you know what, I realized, you know, so many things about the employees, about their environmental factors, about the physical presence that they're in and the traffic and the type of clients and and the logistic issues because of where they're located where information that the numbers didn't give you but but then but then when you actually look at the numbers with that set of eyes you look at the numbers different right isn't that what it is it's you, you're not stopping being an accountant i think you always revert back to being an accountant but it's an accountant that can look at things to the same same eyes as the owner should be looking at and also kind of sharing your experiences as a sort of a, as a, as an inside employee that that's what you're doing, right? Yeah. We want the numbers, the books of the business to tell the exact story of the business. I don't like working with clients where the books are like, Oh yeah, this is what the books say, but let me tell you what's really going on. I've never been a fan of that. So to me, it's always about making the books exactly the same. So we're constantly going back and talking to the business owners about this is what we see. Is this right? So you're exactly right, Hector. By getting involved in the businesses on a very, very deep level, it helps tell me whether the information on the books is accurate or not. So um, it's really, really rewarding, very, very complicated and um, fun along the way. But you're right. Every single thing we do is all about trying to figure out what we're seeing and tying it back to what the numbers are saying in order to help the business owner make decisions. And Andrew, to tie it a little bit with what Michael was saying earlier, that not that many people are willing to do that type of work, especially in our profession. Most of our listeners are accountants, bookkeepers, some are CPAs, but CPAs specifically, we're almost taught the opposite, right? We're taught we're there to be independent. Mm -hmm. We're there to only tell the past. We're there to pass no judgment. We're there to be impartial, right? And we're going to follow this uh, objective rules about how we put the numbers together and we're going to help you be compliant. And, and that, what we, are, what, what we are put, professionally speaking, what we're put on the profession to do is kind of the opposite of the anti-advisor. So I think maybe that's the, pro the reason why people don't do it. It's just because they're taught the opposite. Or, Andrew, is it, the fear is it just people are afraid of of, of mucking it up what, what is it what what is the real reason why people are afraid to do stuff like that 
I think a little bit is if you if it's a client yours already and they're asking you to provide a service beyond what you're currently doing, it's a fear of providing true information and then I'm going to lose my client. So first thing is like, well, I don't know if I want to say this because I'm going to lose what I already have. So that's first, I think is the first fear. I think the second fear is, is that understanding the information and being able to relate it back to somebody in a way that they can use it isn't an easy thing, like you said. So we actually have a process in our office where every single set of books looks exactly the same, no matter what business they're in. And the reason why we have all of our books look the same is because it makes it easier for my people to be able to advise, review it and advise properly. So what we do is we put everybody in the same um, system and by having them in the same system, it makes it easier for my people to sh filter stuff up to the top to talk to the clients at a very low level. And then once it comes to a point where they can't handle it, it comes up to a higher level where I handle it. But I think the fear is, um, number one is, I'm gonna lose my client if I provide some advice. Two, um, it's, I really don't know if I know what I'm talking about, so I don't really wanna say anything. And then I'm gonna lose my client. Um, I think that um, everybody should stay in their lane. You know, I already know that I'm going to lose clients because they're going to outgrow me. I'm already preparing them for the point that they're not going to need me anymore as they grow and need a full-time CFO and full-time employees. And when they leave me, I'm not that upset. It's really the natural course of my business. So I don't worry about what's going to happen by opening my mouth. I know I'm going to lose a client eventually anyway by them moving on. So I don't really have a fear. And all the things you just said about what we were taught to do, like um, independence and, you know, and, you know, as CPAs were supposed to be, you know, provide objective advice. Um, I'm not sure I would have a business if I did all of that anymore. I mean, we're constantly telling people how we think it is and not really very, very independent unless we have to be. Right, right. And I mean, if you're, if you're doing, if you're a true CFO for these clients, you're not just giving objective. You're actually giving subjective advice because your goal is for them to succeed, right? You're then, you're actually in it for them to succeed, and then I like the fact that what you said. You're not afraid for them to outgrow you because you know there's plenty of other clients that need your help after this client. There's another client or there's another opportunity, and um, and that I find refreshing, but also. I do find that pretty rare. Mm -hmm. You don't you don't meet a lot of firm owners that are willing to um, say, "Hey, client, I'm going to do what's best for you," and that means you have to outgrow me. Mm -hmm. You have you have to go get into a situation where you actually need a full time team in house at your company because you're you're doing so well, you're growing so fast, and I honestly couldn't serve you as a as an interim or part time consultant mm -hmm. anymore, and so. Where do you, where, when do you think, did you always have that mentality or did, was there a shift in you at a certain yeah. point where that mentality kind of came to I you? I think probably about 10 years ago, I realized there was a difference between providing people a product for some money and them not really caring about the product, almost like going to the dentist, like they didn't really want to talk to me. And I never liked that. I always wanted to do something where I felt valuable. So I left the profession, like I said, for two years to go help my largest client. I became their CFO and COO, knowing I was going to work my way out of the job. Once I had them structured, I was going to be gone. 
So um, I knew that going in, um, but I, like you said, I have something inside me, which is all about wanting to make the, help them succeed. I feel like I succeeded when they succeed. And that's crazy because the reality is you're right. I'm always onboarding new clients to replace the ones that are leaving, which is not easy, but um, I don't really care to me. Their success is my success. So I'm always, and actually it's, it makes a little things complicated in my office too, because I'm constantly pushing my people mm. to say, what's next? What didn't we look at for that client? What are we missing? What's going on? So it's, um, yeah, it's not easy. You're right. It's definitely something a lot of firms, shy, they, most firms shy away from. Yeah. Is, it, is there like a standard deliverable mm-hmm. that you or your firm provides for most of your, let's say, standard advisory clients mm-hmm. versus one that you get a deep dive into? Yeah. So every client goes into what I call our, our we call it our bucket system. So every single client ends up in the exact same chart of accounts type system. Uh, We then, once they're in that system, we provide to our clients on a regular basis, either monthly, quarterly, whatever it is. Most of them are monthly now. Uh, We provide them a, a, what we call a what happened to the cash report, which is kind of a cash flow statement. It's actually not, we've customized it to help them understand, here's your accrual profit, but this is where all your money went. Because I got tired of people saying to me, Hey, that's great. I made all this money. Where all my money go? So we have a what happened to the cash report. Um, we do a, a balance sheet comparison uh, from the beginning of the year to whenever the period is. That obviously is so we can do the cash flow statement. Um, and then we do P&Ls and we structure the P&Ls based on multiple ways, uh, budget versus actual, uh, P&L versus last year. And my favorite reports to give a client, which I love. And by the way, I tell my staff, please look at this every month is what I call trend reports. I love monthly P&L trends and balance sheet trends because you can catch stuff really easy that are anomalies and then call it out and speak to your client about it. So my clients are used to getting those types of reports on a regular basis. So every month, every quarter. And the trend report is nice because it speaks to that story you're telling. You're saying uh, the numbers should tell the story of the business and the story is fluid. You know, like we struggled this first three months. Uh, look, look at how the sales went down. We made this big, gigantic investment uh, in the next two months. Notice how our payroll worked overtime because people were, were training and working extra. Notice how our payroll went off. And then notice how our sales started going, going up. It's really, really nice to connect uh, that story with, with the business. And one thing that's interesting enough, Andrew, when I take on new clients, so, so I, I do the reverse of this in order to sort of impress the new clients when I'm trying to get the job going in. I use sort of the history of all these stories I've told my clients about their business through trend reports by analyzing the new ones like that. So when I get to sit down with a new client, I pull up you know, a balance sheet comparison, a trend report, and I ask my client, hey, what happened during the summer? What, what, how, how did that affect your business? I don't say... Notice that July had 25% less income. I we don't need to say that. We can we can we can take the numbers and we can we can turn them into into real questions, right? Like what happened during the summer? And they can say this was a rough summer, and they'll tell you for XYZ reason. And then you start breaking down the reasons and you start asking why several times. And you get to like real simple, like all these things are really simple solutions. Like most like 
taking a client from a million dollars to a hundred million dollars, that's tough. Right? And you have to be a very special uh, a visionary to do something like that. But taking someone, most of these businesses from wasting you know, 50% of their money in expenses down to 40%, that's really simple. Getting people to raise their prices a little bit, that's really simple. Getting people to identify clients and segments that don't make them any money, don't add any value to the business, that's really simple. But the way you get to the answer is by getting the client to tell you that they already knew what the problem was. But all you have to do is connect with them by giving them comfort that you understand them, you understand their business. And I think that trend report gives you the capacity to talk about their story. And, and, and in many times, Andrew, this probably happened to you, you, you sit down with the client, you talk about the last two years just by looking at the PL and you start asking questions that sounds like I was there, right? Because the questions were so specific that clients would say, wow, it's almost like you've been here. What, it's almost like you, you knew about this. Like, did you talk to someone? How do you know this happened to my business? And, and the information is right there. It's, it's on the numbers. It's, it's, in, it's, it's in plain sight. Assuming their books are good, right? <laughs> That's a whole other issue. Now, Andrew, I wanted to ask you a question. You told me something that I loved uh, two or three years ago when we met, where you said that it got to a point where uh, the bookkeeping and the accounting wasn't something you charged for anymore. That was all part of, uh, for free, basically, because what you charged for was advisory. Can you explain that a little bit? Tell us how, how that works. Uh, so first of all, you're hired. I could use a guy like you who looks at trend reports and says that. You hit it right on the head, Hector. That is exactly right. Um, we try to make the client, I shouldn't say make it because it sounds like we're doing something fake. We want the clients to understand that we care about the business. So we're reviewing their stuff and looking for things to ask them questions. And most of the time they're like, how'd you know that? And it's, you're right. It's just like reading it and seeing it and then asking the question, not being afraid. So um, the other thing I like about trend reports is, is that people don't realize when they spend one, 10% more per year. But when you all of a sudden realize over a three, four year period, your like health insurance has gone from this number to this number and they don't notice it because it's a little bit of increment every year. They're like, oh my God. And that's where you start starting the conversations like, hey, do you guys talk to your broker? Like, have you like met with anybody? And they're like stunned. So anyway, love the trend reports. Um, so going back to your question, I'm not sure I actually said exactly what you said about the fees are um, like we don't charge for bookkeeping accounting. We we our service our service is one wrapped fee um, to include if the client's going to be a bookkeeping client. So every client's an accounting client, no matter what, and every client becomes an advisory client, no matter what. If they want us to do bookkeeping, because in some cases we have clients that have controllers and. CFOs and we're just doing accounting work. If they want us to do bookkeeping, then bookkeeping would be added too. And then tax could be as well. One wrap fee to do everything. One fixed fee that we bill um, in 12 monthly increments um, to do everything. And obviously the reason we do that is we don't want them to be afraid to pick up the phone and call us and ask questions and think we're gonna start charging them. So it's all one big wrap fee. The goal in every single client is to provide them advisory, no matter what we do. So even though we're charging them for all the things, to me, the bookkeeping is something we have to do. The accounting is something we have to do. The tax is something we have to do. The advisory is something we want to do. So to me, that's where all the fee is, is about 
providing advisory. We sell it to them. We say, this is what you're going to get. You're going to hear from me. You never heard from your last accountant. That was your biggest complaint that you didn't have somebody to bounce stuff off of. We're like a having a CFO on call for you. And uh, you pick up the phone, you shoot me an email, you have a question you don't know the answer to, ask me, we'll be able to give you an answer as best as we possibly can. So that's what all of what we do is all about providing the advisory, uh, but we're still charging in theory based on the whole wrap service together. The goal being like Michael said earlier, we know we're going to advise our way probably out of a client somewhere down the road. And um, so I have this battle with my partner all the time because she's like, well, why would you go help them? You're just going to help them and they're going to leave us. And I said, like Michael said, well, there's like 10 other people out there who haven't yet found us that are going to need the same service. So what are you going to do? We, we have to help them. Like nobody else is going to help them. We have to help them. So um, one full wrap service, all goal, helping them no matter what, providing advisory. Um, it's not cheap, um, but like you probably both do, I live by my brand. So if I tell them this is what's going to happen, then that's what's going to happen, period. No matter how much, how hard I have to work to make sure that they think our service is valuable. And if it doesn't happen, you you will accept when the client tells you, hey, you didn't, it didn't happen. You, you pay me my money back and you just do it, right? You know, you don't go back and say, but I worked so many hours, you know, right? I mean, that that's what it is, correct? It's taking the risk with the client, making the client feel that you're running alongside of them, right? That you're not just another obstacle charging them money to try to get to their goal. Because there's, there's service providers can, can position them, themselves in one or two places. One is, I am a, a, a necessary evil for you to go to the next step. That, that's mm -hmm. what most accountants are. Or, or I, I am a necessary positive that's gonna catapult me to the next step. I mean, both, they cost money, it's just framed in different ways, right? And Andrew, I want to talk to you about the, the concept of graduating clients or, 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 or allowing clients to evolve under you. That's a really important thing. I, I, I battled with that quite a bit at the beginning because I, I didn't know I was getting good at what I did because I was losing clients, because basically they were getting to the point where they hired a, an internal accountant, they hired a CFO that didn't need my advice anymore. So at first I felt really bad that I was losing the clients, but then I basically wore it as a badge of honor. As a matter of fact, in today's world, having a client for two, three years and having them go a different route, go to a big four uh, accounting firm, hire an internal accountant, to me, that's a big moment of pride. And, and for advisors in general, that mindset almost has to switch in because accountants, the traditional accountants, a lot about a, about capturing the client, doing their books and their taxes forever. When the owner of the business dies, you do it for the son or the daughter that took over and you do it forever. And that's almost, that's, that's almost the same story. You know, accountants are about consistency, about growing a group of business, about having, you know, a thousand tax returns that do the year and having that expected revenue coming in. Where advisors, it's a lot different, right? We would hope that, that we are so valuable that our client could use us for life. But think about this. And this is the logic that, that Andrew, you probably have the same. So we'll see if you agree or disagree. Is that if you started your business saying, I'm going to start with businesses that are under a million. And then within two years, I'm going to go to businesses that are 
you know, a million to 10 million. And then in so many years, I'm gonna do 10 million to 100 million. And I basically have a trajectory as an advisor that I'm gonna evolve myself in the target client I work with. By the 20th year, you can only work with Apple, really, because at that point, you know, your standards are so high. So if you're an advisor that focuses on a small business, the ultimate goal of that small business is to become a medium business, correct? Or become a large business. So if you're helping them do that or they're doing that under your watch, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. And, and you have to be comfortable with providing a lot of value for two years, a little bit of value two and a half years later, helping them sell, helping them do whatever, and then providing absolutely no value because someone else is, and then refocusing your energy to a new client. You, We have to get comfortable with that, right? Not easy. Um, just happened with one of my largest clients. They brought in, you know, he started telling me he was going to look to bring in a full-time CFO and he wanted my help to interview them. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, <laughs> well, let's see. So I'm going to interview my replacement. Hmm. Much money is that going to cost me? So at some level, if I'm really the true independent advisor trying to help them and I don't help them do that, then who the hell was I really all along? So to me, like you said, I already know I'm going to be working my way out of a job at some point, point in time. I have to be comfortable with that. So we hired the CFO, uh, helped him hire the CFO, and then he starts questioning the work when I'm doing. So I hired the guy, and now he's questioning my work. And I'm thinking, dude, you weren't there during the trenches. You weren't there when it was bad. Like, I know, like, I get it, but you weren't there five years ago. So um, it's not easy. Um, you know what I just found? It's just easy being yourself. Just be real, be yourself. We're not perfect. Nobody's perfect. I'm not a robot. We're going to make mistakes. And guess what? You know, some CFO is going to come along and it's going to look at my work and they're going to find something that I didn't see because I was looking at something else. Oh, well, it, it's going to happen. Doesn't make me a bad advisor. Doesn't make me a bad accountant. I, there's somebody else that had a fresh pair of eyes that saw something that I didn't see. So that's an uncomfortable thing for somebody to look, to know they're going to look at your stuff and say, maybe kind of uh, give some advice back on it. Uh, but the reality is we're cool with it. We want our clients to be successful and happy. And um, we're okay. If we find that people find mistakes, that's cool. We already know we're going to make mistakes. So yeah, yeah you're very difficult. You're right, Hector. Very yeah. tough. That's a good point. That's a really good point. I think there's, I think there's a, a bad assumption by probably even pe for people who want to, to become CFOs or climb into the CFO role or, you know, get into the CFO consulting advisory uh, position. You, you do have to know basic accounting, right? You have to have some general knowledge, but the majority of the CFO job or the advisory job has nothing to do with knowing debits and credits really well or knowing um, the balance sheet really lock, rock solid or no income statement. Um, I would say there's really a few key, a few key traits and would love to hear your thoughts and Hector's thoughts. Um, I would say one is you, you know, like we talked about earlier, you actually genuinely have to be interested in the entrepreneur's business. Like you actually want, you're interested in their business and you want them to succeed. Like you actually want them to succeed sometimes more so than you want yourself to succeed because you know, their success means your own success. 
but you're almost willing to do the same things that that entrepreneur is willing to do for their business, right? And then secondly, you have to be able to ask good questions. And I've had I've had sessions, consulting sessions, where I literally gave no advice. <laughs> I've I've just asked questions the whole most of the whole time, and the the client or the entrepreneur gives themselves their advice through just talking out the problem they're having. And sometimes they'll catch themselves like, oh my gosh, why didn't I think about that? And you haven't said a darn thing. You just ask the right questions, right? And some people call that coaching, but in advisory, in the realm of like this kind of consulting advisory, coaching is one aspect that falls under there. Um, and so there's, you know, there's, there's the genuinely interested in the entrepreneur and their business and their success. There's the asking good questions. And then there's the actual listening, which most of us are absolutely terrible at. We are absolutely terrible at listening. Um, and that's because we're formulating the next thought while you're talking, while the person's talking, or we actually believe that we're smarter than most of the people we're talking to. And that's why we just don't listen because we're like, I got nothing to learn from this person, right? So you actually have to come to come at it as, actually, I don't, you know, if, if you don't believe you're the smartest person in the room ever, if you actually believe everybody you talk, talk to, you can learn from them, then I think you're going to have a take, you're going to have a humble a kind of approach or attitude of, okay, this person I'm, I'm hearing from, I got something to learn from them. You know, even if it's a small thing, I guess I'm going to learn from them. And like you said, a better person is going to come along. A smarter CFO is going to come along and find my mistake. But frankly, that's not why the entrepreneur hired me. They didn't hire me because I'm the smartest person in the room. Um, they hired me because, frankly, I think of the, all the other things that kind of I just, just talked about. I don't know. What, what are your thoughts, Andrew and Hector, on, on those things? I'm sorry. I wasn't listening to anything you said. I was thinking about what I was going to say next. Right. <laughs> just kidding. Um, you hit it so fun. It was so funny when you're talking. I'm thinking to myself, um, you have to care about the person's business. And I was thinking while you were talking, I was thinking of the word sacrifice. To me, I know going in, I'm going to be sacrificing something. Time, maybe money, maybe my family maybe my staff, I have to sacrifice something to be integrated with that that person's business so that they feel like um, we really are trying to help them. I look for quick wins early on quick wins. To me, a lot of quick wins are helping somebody on the operational side, maybe with something that they're struggling with that maybe I know a good technology or good efficiency. And I think if you can get people on your team with quick wins, it's really easy at that point to get people in the room and listen to you. So we look for really quick wins when we get involved with people. Um, but, you know, I've been in rooms with people who I know are totally smarter than me. And I've been in those rooms with people who thought they knew where they were talking about, even though they were smarter than me. And I never have ever not said something to them if I thought they were wrong. And I have been in rooms where people were like, don't, don't say anything. Like, don't, just don't say anything. And I can't not say anything. Not because I want to be right, but because I just want to make sure it's clear mm -hmm. that I, you're not, just because you're the loudest doesn't mean you're right. And I think a lot of people are afraid. You know, they're afraid of people who they think are so much smarter than mm -hmm. them. 
So you're right. It's all about relationships, uh, listening and uh, caring. You got to care about that person's business. Like, like Hector said, you got to want to get down there to the warehouse, sit and talk to the person who's working in that warehouse and find out what that person's struggles are to really figure out how to help them. And then which in turn will help the business. If you don't care about people, you don't like want to listen to talk to somebody who's a totally different person than you, maybe in a totally different life cycle than you, then what are you doing? Like, that's the best part of it is talking to somebody. Those guys, people in the warehouse are just as smart as me doing whatever it is they're doing. So I, we love it. I love, you got to love people. I mean, you just got to love talking to people. What do you think, Hector? Uh, well, it's a lot of stuff to think about here. So um, on the comment about, talking to the warehouse guy or the person on the, that answers the phone or someone that basically organizes the paperwork and scans it before it gets archived. There's a, there's a lot of insightful stuff that they seemingly, and I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to put them down, but if we judge people by their payroll, right, we were, we are likely to deem them as less smart or whatever, or a different level than us. But when, when you, when you finally realize that those are the people that have the keys to the kingdom in many ways, right? They're, they're the ones that, like, for example, someone that archives documents, right? They're looking at all the documents that are being scanned and archived. That person can tell you, you know, insight about, look, these vendors are changing the presentation of these products. Uh, you know, the, the, you know the, the bills are getting bigger. They're getting smaller. You know, little things like that can tell you a lot of stuff about what's going on, right? Like, you know, I, I used to scan three pages of um, of uh, Amex statements. Now it's 27 pages. Okay, something's going on with the Amex credit card. Someone's going wild with the Amex credit card. So it's, sometimes it's the, the, the unseemingly great sources of, of, of information in the company. The, the ones that are seemingly the ones that hold the great information actually hold that or at least initiate the conversation on the quick wins, Andrew. I did want to to deep dive a little bit more because I, I I like I like those little hacks and those little tricks. The the quick wins that I look for typically, especially if I want to win the heart of the data entry person or the warehouse person or whatever, I I observe how they enter stuff on the computer and I observe how often they use keyboard shortcuts because those are easy, right? You can look up a keyboard shortcut for Excel, keyboard shortcut for QuickBooks, even just regular Microsoft Windows keyboard shortcuts. Like, like I remember just recently, it was like two weeks ago, I was talking to the warehouse uh, a person that had their face told the story of how, how, how little they wanted me there, right? Because I came in to fix the inventory, which is, it was his responsibility to fix inventory. So I was there, it must have been 30 minutes, right? 30 minutes, that the, the, the person really didn't want me there. And he was very resistant to everything I asked. And one thing I noticed, I noticed he was uh, minimizing like 20 win like 20 windows at a time to show me something. He just kept going, minimize, 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 minimize. And I sat there for like 30 seconds waiting for him to, you know, move the mouse over to the little icon where you minimize. And I told him, how often are you minimizing? Just wondering, how often are you minimizing and, and maximizing windows like this? He's like, all the time, because I have to have my order window and my shipping window and my disk window. And I say, and you do that every time you get to the desktop. Yeah. Can I show you something? It, it just really changed. It really helped me. And when they say, yeah, sure. I do, you know, a Windows D and it goes straight to the desktop. And that person's eyes was like the story of, 
oh my God, I have wasted so much of my life in this past 15 years of working with these people by minimizing every window. And that's that seems like a dumb thing, but that's a huge quick win because now you got that person in your pocket, right? Now that person says, okay, he, that's, he's my ally. He's helping me be more efficient. He's helping me be faster. He's not here to fire me. He's helping. He's here to help me get better. So sometimes little things like that go a long way. But I wanted to maybe ask you, Andrew, what other quick wins like that, like little life hacks and stuff that we can, that we can learn from? I've done some really crazy stuff. I mean, some of the wins are, you know, like easy kind of accounting wins. Like you see a bookkeeper who's struggling and has never heard of bill.com and you show them what can happen if you use a program like that. And they're like, oh my God, this will change my life. That's like an easy win for somebody who's never heard of it or somebody who's getting up constantly and walking over to a scanner to scan documents and then showing them the free program that they could put on their smartphone and snap, 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 and send that via email directly to, or send it via the PDF directly to bill.com or something like that, or right to their email. And they're like, oh my God, I never thought of using my phone. I didn't know you can convert images to JPEGs on a, on a program with an app. So real quick little things where I feel like we can help people with um, the way they do business. But we've done so much to stuff as say, wow, that person's struggling because they have one screen. They're, they, they, uh, they'd love to have a second screen, right? We'll actually come in. I'll have like a multiple screens in my office and I'll take a monitor and literally bring it to their office and plug it in for them and have them have second screen. And they're like, oh my God. Or I'll have a client that really wants to have calls with me. And I'm like, why don't we do video calls? And they're like, nah, I don't know how to do that. And I'll bring a camera. I'll buy a camera. It's 25 bucks. And I'll literally plug it in, install it on their computer and say, now we're going to talk. So to me, it's, it's those little things, a little bit of money, maybe it costs a little bit of time. I keep using that word sacrifice. But if you can get those people on your team, they makes it so much easier to do your job. We were talking about CFO, Mike, Michael. Um, look, it's not about one person. You're not doing it by yourself. You need people to help. The more people who are bought into what you're trying to do, the easier it is. So whatever we can do to get people to buy in, we do it. So guess what? Warehouse guys, I know I'm going to meet with the warehouse guys, Hector, one morning, I'm bringing Dunkin' Donuts and coffee, right? And some of those people feel like it's like, like kind of lame, like, oh, you're buying them with donut, Dunkin' Donuts and coffee. But you know what? When you sit with them and eat with them and talk to them about the game last night or whatever it was, whether it, before you know it, all those walls, all those walls of, I didn't want you here get broken down. And you know what, Hector, it's just like being a normal person, right? It's like what you would do if it was your friend coming over and have a drink with you, right? If you treat people that way, no matter whether you just met them or not, it like comes through in your personality and what you say. And people love talking to people. People love you know, as long as you're not going to give them more work to do and you're trying to help them, I think people want you there. But the minute they think you're there to give them more work to do, get, you know, you're right. It's go away. I don't want you here. So I'll do anything to make them want to be on our team. On the second monitor, that's a constant struggle. I mean, how many people I speak to that uh, have these incredible offices with, with great uh, equipment and everything, but the bookkeeper has one screen and, and, I, and you tell the, you ask the bookkeeper casually, like, Hey, you didn't, you didn't like when they offer you the second screen. 
And usually the answer is no, they haven't offered me a second screen because I always assume that it's normal for people to have two screens, right? And I was like, have you, have you asked your boss for a second screen? Oh no, him, you don't know him. He's cheap as hell. You know, he's not going to spend a dime and this and that. And I say, let me ask you a question. If I can convince him to use a second monitor, could you come back to him and promise him more productivity? Oh, absolutely. I would be 20% more productive. What would that look like? Well, I'll be able to finish whatever, the TPS report by 10 a.m. instead of 11 a.m. So why don't you approach it like that? And sometimes people are like, wow, you're right. I never thought about approaching it like that. It was always the $149 that was the, 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 the wall between that person getting a second monitor. And sometimes you have to have a talk with these clients like, dude, are you serious, right? You go to the restaurant on the street, spend 300 bucks, which you call a business meal, right? And, then, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm a complacent of that with you that we call up the business meals, but you can't spend 150 bucks to make your employee 150% more productive. Do me a favor. Don't just show up with it. Go back and ask her, hey, Hector was trying to convince me to second, get you a second screen. Will that help you be more productive? If the employee says it will and commits to it, you just got virtually free productivity because you will get more out of an employee that got a second monitor that they, that, that they weren't expecting to get versus giving them $150 in cash as a bonus. And it, and it costs you the exact same. So sometimes with these business owners, man, we, especially that second monitor, to, to me, it should be a standard. Um, what about you, Mike? Do you have any quick wins like that? Oh, yeah, I, I think... I think uh, all you're saying, I think it relates to, it, it relates to a couple of topics. It relates to investing in your employees and how investing in your employees and especially your leadership team is some, one of the biggest returns you can have for your business. And yet there is an old school mentality of entrepreneurs that just absolutely is clueless about that for some reason. And like you said, you have to convince clients that, investing in the bookkeeper, investing in the receptionist, investing in their vice president or their chief operating officer, getting them um, the right equipment, um, getting them a, a chair that isn't uncomfortable for their desk, right? Or letting them take the walks they want or sign up for the yoga, yoga class that's 30 minutes every other day because it would keep them healthy. And uh, so that's, that's one. And so, you know, at Reconciled, we we, you know, if, if an employee, whatever they want at home to make their job easier, because we are a remote distributed team, we, we ask them, you know, do you need a, a, a different kind of keyboard? Do you need a mouse that has a scroll bar in the middle? Do you need, do you, do you need a mouse pad? Do you want, uh, do you, do you have a bad back? Do you need a certain kind of chair that helps your back? Um, we want to make sure that they, they, they get the right things. And one of the things that, that one of the insights I had about that was, and like you, you talked about Hector, like it's actually better to get the gift than the cash because the gift sends more value. So one of the things we, we did was say to our employees, okay, we, we want to invest in your health. We want to, we know that remote work and working in a desk as an accountant can often be, um, can often co um, contribute to, to unhealthiness. So what can we do as a company to encourage you? So we said, Hey, go out and pick something that would contribute to your health, whether it's joining a gym, uh, investing in an HSA, um, getting better ergonomic keyboard or mouse or whatever, uh, office chair. And, and, and then um, every single month, we're going to re reimburse you up to $50 on any of those things. 
as long as you can relate it to your health or your, to your health, health, health related thing, we're going to reimburse you for that. So it's our way of saying we value your health. So, you know, would you normally go get that Pilates ball to sit on at your desk on your own? Maybe not. But now that we've said we want to invest in you, you'll go get it, right? It's like one of those, those things, those things that you think of, you're like, would I go get it myself? No, but if somebody gave it to me, would I really appreciate it? Yeah, I, I, I totally would. And so I think helping people realize investments, um, investments in their, in their, uh, in their, their team and, and is it really big? And that kind of segues us into investment um, into QuickBooks Connect, right? Investment well, in QuickBooks before you Connect. Do that, Michael, I wanted yeah. to add something because QuickBooks Connect something we wanted to talk to. It's, it's, it's getting there, right? We're almost right. there and we're getting, we're there. every week we get more excited about it. Uh, Andrew, yeah. I don't know if you're going this year. I know you went last year, but are you going he's gone a lot. He's gone many years. <laughs> yeah. I'm not planning on going this year, believe it or okay. not. Um, I will talk, maybe we'll talk about the experience last year mm -hmm. or the past year. But I wanted to add something, Michael, before we change topics is you, your employees need to see you as a boss. I know this is beyond advisory, but your employees need to see you as a generous person. It can't be the opposite. I know it's hard to be labeled as generous, but I don't know what the opposite of generous is. You don't want that label, right? Your employees can never think my boss is cheap because if your boss is cheap, then you can never picture yourself getting a raise or a decent raise. You can never picture yourself getting the tool that you need. You can never picture yourself in a better uh, office that you're sitting there right now. So it will limit your, your imagination about what your career in that company is. So the minute a kind of generous looking boss on the other side, you know, the grass is always greener, right? So in the other side, it's looking like that person, it has more of an abundance mentality. They're saying, yeah, there's plenty of opportunity here. There's plenty of opportunity there for you. People will, will jump ship. And, and, and part of, a, part of a being a good advisor is identifying all these business owners that their number one thing that their employees think about them is that they're cheap. And that's, the, that's a really difficult uh, thing to, to get through. But if you can, you, you don't have to make them spend more money, but at least take the, the, the aura of frugality around them. So the employees don't, don't feel that way and sending their employees to training. Um, because I think we were talking about tools, right? With the second monitor. I think that many employees are not bad employees. They just have bad tools, right? They just have bad tools. You give them bad tools and tools are not just physical things. Tools is also the stuff that goes in your head. It's instructions, it's direction, it's vision, it's procedures, it's process, it's training. And, it, and if, you, if you're unwilling to give somebody a second monitor, a better tool, training, that's always going to be the problem. The reason why anyone hires an advisor almost all the time is for two things. One is they want that second opinion, they want that objective second opinion. But two, there's knowledge gap. People hire you because you know something they don't, or at least they feel that you know something they don't. And I know uh, Andrew was talking about not being the smartest guy in the room, and, and Andrew talked about it too. Most of the time we get hired because their perception is that we're, we are the smarter, smartest person in the room. I think the trick is that we ourselves don't believe it. So we have to somehow walk in and be hired because they think we're the smartest, but then we approach it as we are not the smartest, 
And then we use really simple uh, solutions like, hey, just don't be cheap, man. Don't be cheap with your employees. So that's the only, I had that in the back of my head. I was thinking about that, not listening to you, Mike. I was thinking about that <laughs> before that. But I think we were going to talk a little bit about QuickBooks Connect and maybe investing in training and that sort of thing. So I just wanted to throw that in there. No, Hector, I wanted to just jump in real quickly and say that um, when you have your own employees and you work with them day in and day out, you see them in a different light than maybe somebody who has a second opinion could come in and say. And sometimes it's good for a business owner or somebody else to hear another person's opinion about somebody because you know we a lot of times you let our past help us predict what's going to happen in the future. And that's not always necessarily true. And it's hard when you have your own people to think that it's not going to happen again, because it happened in the past. So I think you're right. It's really great to have that second opinion come in and be able to say, listen, I talked to this person, I went through it. And I'm telling you this, they're great. They are great. From what I see out there compared to what you have, they are great. This is what I think you need to do. I think it's really, really helpful. So because um, people get lost in having you know they take people for granted i think and it's hard to think of them any different than what they remember what their past was with them and they can, and they can think of some little annoyance i mean they, when you work with someone day in and day out right we have little annoyances about people like someone brings tuna you know to lunch and it, and it stinks up the whole lunchroom i mean something as as little as that can can cloud your judgment about that person's intention and 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 ideas, right? So, so I think so, sometimes it's, it's, it's important to look look past that as well. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, um, yeah. One of the things, uh, one of the stories I know, Andrew, you've talked to me about uh, a, f a few years ago, as when I when I met you early on, was your experience um, with a pretty well known coffee company that you were advising. And uh, a company that you, I think you connected with at QuickBooks Connect uh, years ago. I don't know if you, if you want to share that story a little bit um, uh, with us, because that's a, that's a pretty cool story. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so um, Death Wish Coffee, obviously, is what uh, Michael's talking about. So um, we were, I was, think it was the first year that they had the Firm of the Future contest for accountants and we applied for that contest and made it into the top 20. Um, of course, we thought we won. Um, so we went out, they invited us out to QuickBooks Connect 2. It was the second QuickBooks Connect. And, um, you know, they had the 20 firms there. We did not win. Um, our good friends at Two Roads won that year. Um, in fact, we didn't end up in the top three at all, but, um, we had an amazing experience. And just like I told you before, we just like talking to people. And they also had small business, big game going on that year, which was they're going to have a bunch of small businesses compete and the winner's going to get a Super Bowl commercial. I think it was like the second time Intuit had done it. And I don't think they've done it since. And Death Wish Coffee was in this competition. We didn't know who they were. Um, and we were at the bar at the, there was a concert thrown for us that night. I forget what the band was. They were amazing. And uh, they went up. I, my partner, Megan, went up to the bar to go get refills of beer. And Mike Brown at Deathwish was standing there. And she just starts a conversation. Hey, your brand's cool. This is awesome. Blah, blah, blah. 
And you could tell instantly from his face that he wasn't as thrilled about the fact that he was a finalist for big game, small business, big game as he should have been. So, and Meg's really good at realizing that something's not right and making that conversation go deeper. So she brings the beers back. to To add some context, this is a business that was selling $4 million a year and they were about to get a Super Bowl ad that was going to be watched by 150 million people. And Super Bowl ad is the ultimate ad you know, to get you more sales. So what they were fearing, I guess, is this new, all of a sudden, doubling, tripling, quadrupling of the business within a week, basically. I mean, that, that was mm-hmm. the issue, right? Yeah, well, they uh, did not know they won. They were a finalist. The finalist was going to be announced later on. Uh, what we did not know at the time is that they already knew that they had won. So we didn't know. And we were just saying, you guys are great. You're amazing, whatever. And he didn't, he kind of looked a little bit like, like you said, a little scared. So Meg brought the beers back over and said, you really need to go talk to him. So I went over to him and started talking like, Hey, whatever. And I realized instantly she was right. Something wasn't right. So he's like, give me your card and I'll call you. I'd like to talk to you. And I'm like, yeah, that happens like a million times a year. So they'll never call me. So he calls me on the next, like Saturday, like two days later. And he's like, um, I need to talk to you, but you need to sign this NDA. And I'm like, sign this NDA for what? <laughs> and he's like, you just need to sign it. Sorry, I can't talk to you otherwise. I'm like, all right, fine. So I signed the NDA and he's like, hey, I just want to let you know we're going to win the Super Bowl commercial and we are not prepared. Um, we do not know how much inventory we have. We do not know what our bookkeeping looks like. Our, it just literally, they were like, holy crap. So you're right, Hector. They were doing $4 million a year at the time, uh, 50% on Amazon, 50% on their website, basically. And uh, they're about to have a Super Bowl commercial in February, which was, this is December, first week of December. So now they're basically eight weeks from the Super Bowl commercial. Uh, so he said, I need your help. I said, What's, who's your accountant now? He said, yeah, he's just a guy who prepares my tax return. Um, I'm like, okay. So we took a look at his, so I said, where's your books? He's like, oh, we have this bookkeeper. She handles it. It's on their server on QuickBooks desktop and I don't have access to it and I never get reports. And I'm like, oh my God, are you kidding me? So I said, I need to see these reports. So they sent me reports that he got and I still have them. I have them saved for people who don't want, who want to see what something looked like when they get a client. I was like, holy crap. They had like $600,000 in undeposited funds. They had like money in uh, open balance equity. They had credits where they should have been debits. I was like, oh my God. You know, one of those things where as an accountant, you look at it and you're like, you know, something's really wrong. So we said, listen, um, number one, you need to get rid of your bookkeeper. (laughs) And number two, we'll do everything and anything to help you. So we took an engagement with them, which was an eight-week engagement to help them get ready for what was about to happen. Uh, Literally from everything to restructuring their bookkeeping, restructuring the way that they handled their accounting, um, for preparing their inventory system to be able to accept the orders that were about to come in, to telling to helping this, the owner of the business understand that we had his back related to whatever was necessary. So we literally helped him with HR and so forth and so on. We did everything. And um, the week before the Super Bowl, they actually had a, they released the commercial the week before the Super Bowl to, I think, into it, released the commercial. And they had a bump. And the bump was scary because 
it like jolted their business and they like hold they so they got a little bit to see what was about to happen. So um, I was lucky enough uh, from a different perspective to be invited to sit in into its box at the Super Bowl. So the Super Bowl was in San Francisco that year. Into it invited me to sit in their box. So I was in the box with Brad Smith and blah blah blah. Um, had nothing to do with Death Wish. I thought it did. It didn't. And Death Wish was in San Francisco with De- uh, with into it at a se- separate party, and we're both on our phones. And here comes the commercial on TV, and I'm watching it with Brad Smith, and we're like, "Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god!" And I'm watching on my phone the Shopify sales, and I'm like, "Oh my god!" And you see this like spike, 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 and I'm texting, and I'm like, "Is the site holding up? Is the site good? We're good. We're good." And so, long story short, um, everything worked out amazing. The business jumped tremendously within less than two years. They were doing over twenty million a year um, in business, and um, I'm happy and unhappy to say that they're the client I was talking about a moment ago that hired a CFO that took over full time for them because they're on trajectory to do probably double that this year and now have, I mean, a real business and real. 50 employees and you know wholesale business and unbelievable story so uh but we really got to know the owner and really got involved in everything he did and we and by the way he was in near albany new york we're in outside philadelphia it was a four and a half hour drive we were there on a regular basis throughout the eight week period and i think he knew that if we were willing to do that that we were really invested and wanted him to be great. And honestly, it's so easy to work with somebody who's an amazing brand and great people, right? I mean, don't we all want to work with clients who pick up the phone and say, thank you so much. Your guys are amazing. We love you. So when you hear that, you just want to do more and you want to do more, you want to do more, do more. And uh, yeah, it's a great story. So yes, um, I don't know if they'll ever bring us back to tell that story, maybe into it, maybe the five-year anniversary, whenever that is coming up, but I don't think they've done that since. Um, and yeah, so I guess we got the big prize. We lost Firm of the Future, um, but we got the big prize. We got Death Wish as a client. And what, what a great story, Andrew. Th- thank you for sharing that. And I think a couple of things are important. A couple of things really matter from the stories. One, you met them at an accounting conference, right? Th- th- this is the last place I thought I was going to find clients. I thought that was for me to talk to other accountants and that's it. So, um, and you weren't looking for it. It, it just, it just kind of just came right out of there. And all you did was listen and, and want to help first, right? You weren't thinking about the money and how much it, that wasn't even part of the conversation. You were just, you know, just telling the client what you loved about their brand. And, 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 and I think that was part of the reason why they wanted to hire you. They're like, this person doesn't see me as a dollar sign. This person you know, is, is concerned about my brand and it likes it. It's, it we, we can make a good connection. And it, it's true. People like to do business with people they like. And, and, and they hope that that person turns out to be smart, right, at the end. right? But if, if they like you, you know, they'll, they'll work with you. So that's an important story. And the other one is, here's the combination of it, right? Here's the bitter, bittersweet ending of what a good advisor is supposed to do, is to be proud, a proud mama, seeing their kids evolve and go on. And now you have this amazing experience under your belt that you can use to get this, the next client 
which you could probably repeat the story in half the time and charge double the money because now you got proof. Now you can, you you prove that you've done it. So sacrifice is important, but sacrifice also always turns into excess and abundance uh, that goes your way, right? Because when you, I, I think that when you invest your time, your money, your your passion, patience, your emotional intelligence, your time, when you invest it with sacrifice, it comes it 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 comes back to you naturally. I don't know if it's if it's karma or good business practice or whatever it is, but I, I truly believe that that exemplifies it. So Andrew, thank you very much. You're invited back anytime. I love your story. Too bad that you're not gonna go to QuickBooks Connect this time. Maybe I'll pick up the whale client instead of you this year at the bar. So I'll be talking to uh, business owners that look worried in the bar and see if something like that comes up. And uh, with that, I say goodbye to you, Andrew. And Mike, you want to close it off? Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Andrew, for joining us. And uh, I still will always remember our day together, Council, and and, and um, our, our time together. And looking forward to seeing you again soon. Awesome. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. You guys are such great friends and such awesome people. So thank you so much for having me. And Andrew, real quick, uh, tell people how, uh, how they can get a hold of you, your website, email, whatever other things you got going on. Sure. Just a real quick infomercial there. Yeah, sure. Of course, website is Berg, uh, bergpartners.com. It was our original name. Now we're Berg Advisors, so branded Berg Advisors. But bergpartners.com um, is the best way you can get me. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, uh, whatever, some of the other social media. I'm an old guy, so I don't really know all of them all out there. Somebody else takes care of it for me. Instagram, I think we're on too. Uh, Berg Advisors on Instagram. Uh, and you can call my cell, whatever, text me, Facebook message me. So anyway, um, uh, I'm available whenever anybody wants me, but mostly through our website. So you can connect with me there. Thank you, Andrew. All right. Good night, guys. Have a great Appreciate weekend. It. Good night. Bye-bye.